Hi, everybody. <coughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Just wait for Frank. Oh, wait for the man himself. Cool. Great. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome. Thanks so much for everybody for being here, for coming out on the rain, for leaving your loved ones on Valentine's Night to be and the, and here. And the football, apparently, yeah. the European football. And for those <laughs> of you who, like me, are missing Liverpool in the Champions League tonight, welcome. She's making a big sacrifice. Big, big sacrifice. She's making a big sacrifice. Big, big sacrifice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Lois from Live Art Development Agency, and on behalf of Finn, CJ, Megan, and the lovely Anais and Freya who are with us at the moment, thank you all um, for coming. Um, people who haven't been here before, this is the Live Art Development Agency space, this is our study room, our event space. If you don't know what we do, there's information about us in the leaflets on your seats, or you could go to, I won't bore you with going on about what we do, or go to our website and uh, sign up for our newsletter if you want to know about more about events that we do, about books that we publish and sell, and different opportunities that we offer to artists. So we are here this evening to launch this beautiful thing and to celebrate this beautiful man's birthday. So... Twenty-one today. Uh, yeah. No, it's Franco's birthday on the twenty-seventh of January. Um, but we celebrate it. It makes sense to celebrate. To it celebrate today. it all today. Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, Franco B's memoir, which we, as a live art development agency, have just had enormous pleasure to publish. Um, we've worked with Franco since we set the agency up in 1999, and I worked with Franco a lot before that when I was running the program at the ICA, and we worked together probably every week. But we sell Franco's books in our bookshop, we have Franco's books in our study, and we have Franco's art on our walls. Franco's taken part in most of our events. He's mentored young artists we've worked with there's very little we've done that Franco hasn't been involved with or inspired or influenced, but the one thing we've never done with Franco is published a book. So I'm really, really thrilled that we've, uh, because Franco's published loads of books, but he's, he's a quick publisher and we're a very slow publisher. So at long last, we've been able to publish this. And this is, this is the story of Franco's life, not the story of Franco's art so much. And it's the story of this man's incredible life from his, as most people know, from his traumatic, abusive childhood in Italy to him being the beautiful, healthy, happy, hugely successful artist that we all know and love. And this is telling this story. So, um, so to mark the book, we've invited a few people to say a few words. And huge thanks to them for, for, for joining us for this. So f I'm going to hand over to Franco in a minute to say a few words about the book. Then we have the wonderful Anna Thieu, who's a filmmaker and educator. And Anna's particularly going to be talking about um, sort of shared languages and shared experiences and shared histories. Anna's known Franco really since before, well, since he became an artist. And so um, she's sort of been a really important figure in his life. Then we're going to hand over to the wonderful Marcia Farquhar, who's an artist who actually, Franco introduced me to Marcia, so I'm internally indebted for Franco, to Franco for that. But Franco, uh, Marcia's own work is very much about 
the personal in art about biographies and about histories, and she's also um, uh, involved in a current project, Vox Pop, which is um, inviting artists to talk about their history. So it's a different way, really interesting ways of looking at the different ways that the history of art um, can be told, whose stories can be told and how they can be told. And then finally, we're going to have uh, the brilliant Dominic Johnson, uh, the scholar and writer Dominic Johnson, who's also going to talk about the sort of histories of performance and uh, why it's important that certain histories are told and how they're told and who's telling them. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to hand over to Franco in a sec, but I just, and then we're going to, um, after that, then we're going to have some drinks. You're all going to, uh, for those of you who haven't already bought copies of the book, you're all going to buy copies of the book, <laughs> which are on sale tonight, a special launch yeah, price of only £10, and Franco has a pen in his hand, and we'll sign them for you. Uh, but also, Franco has a selection of artworks, um, ceramics, and some of his stitch works, which are here tonight, exclusively available at knockdown prices. And I really do encourage you to... Um, to take the opportunity to buy some original Franco work. So I just want to say huge thanks to my colleague Megan, who's probably still standing on the rain. Um, Megan did so much of the copy editing of the book um, and was really kind of incredibly sensitive in keeping, uh, sort of staying true to Franco's voice, staying too true to Franco's style, but also sort of um, also making the book sort of legible in a way. <laughs> You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Anybody who's read any emails from Franco <laughs> sort of knows what I mean. I Sweet. Oh, yeah. um, I want to thank Adrian Heathfield for his invaluable editorial advice. I want to thank uh, Mark Stevens for his invaluable legal advice. Yeah. I want to thank, yeah. I want to thank uh, Giudetta. Feloni, who did the beautiful illustrations in the book. I want to thank David Keynes, who's here this evening, for his fantastic design. Franco wanted it to look like a school exercise book, and it does. And I want to thank Tim Etchells, who wrote the fantastic preface for the book. But mostly, I want to thank Franco for allowing... Well, Franco for being Franco and allowing us to publish his extraordinary story. Over to you, baby. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lloyd. Shut up! <laughs> I'm not going to introduce you to anybody else. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, what can I say? I mean, it's amazing because uh, everybody involved with the book, everybody died also with the talk, people that have been around my life minimum for like 18 years plus. So it's like, feels like this is my family, you know? And uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. The book, I mean, the book was very, the, bo the book, you know, I hope, I hope you can, I think it reads quite easily and it's, it's true. Lois, uh, Megan made amazing, because sometimes I can't even understand when I read it. <laughs> I, f I get lost. So it's very good. <laughs> they did a good job. <laughs> but, no, I'll tell you very briefly, originally, actually, the book started because, um, the book started and I detected to somebody, I said in the book, and then um, I couldn't look at her and I left her for five years. My life kind of went somewhere else and I wasn't my preoccupation to do the book. And then um, combination of things, 
and there was a, a very good friend, which is not here, um, Nathaniel, Nat no, Nathaniel and which are a very old friend. Mickey was one of the, was, uh, is also a doctor, and in the early days in clubs, he would help me with the bleeding performance, you know. And uh, so he, about seven years ago, decided to film me, and it was thanks to his filming and him following me around, though sometimes quite quite forceful, it made me realize that I had unfinished work with the book, I left it, you know? And eventually I came, I decided when I was showing it to Lois, when I was showing the film, the first unedited kind of, of because of love, uh, the film, the documentary came, it, uh, I kind of say, you know, I wrote also a story, but I uh, don't know what to do with it, and uh, Lois sent, told me, to send that, and I send them, then we, we decide uh, that it was the right time to revisit it and to publish it. And I'm very grateful for the support I get, really, and the love I get from people. And uh, thank you for coming. And uh, I'm going to leave, uh, I'm going to leave, uh, I mean, Anna, Marcia. Anna, Anna was my teacher at Chelsea when I, in 87, 87, 88. You know, and uh, she's been part, uh, not only my teacher, but his, his family. So this is very interesting. I'm writing a book about uh, my life somewhere else, really. But my life now is here. Thank you very much for coming. Where is Anna? Oh, here she is. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Anna Thieu. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I've put together a short um, compilation of films in which Franco and, uh, well, it's not going, uh, I think you've got it going at um, treble speed. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've done is I've put together all the little bits of stuff that I could find of Franco, even starting out with his hot water bottle for Steve Farrer's Ghost Train, which was filmed in the basement at the London Filmmakers Co-op. Um, and I've put some, I've put some time on the film. And the first bit is quite interesting. This is 1987 to 88. Uh, 1987 to 88, I was doing screenings at Chelsea School of Art of avant-garde film, including films like Un Chant d'Amour, uh, Flaming Creatures by Jack Smith, and anything else you could think of. Um, Franco met me, Dushin's I think, on the, film, on the film to the brink of chaos. Uh, course, and then I came to teach there with Stuart Marshall, whose image appears very briefly in this film. So from the very beginning, because we were used to working collectively in colleges in the 80s, um, I went out to the Beckton site to film a scene for Eros Erosion, um, which was about death. I was heavily into death. And um, my first appearance was as a dead body in a film with a scarred stomach. So I'm going to read this little thing from, from what I wrote for the, for, the, for the book, but it was a bit long. Against a giant bed with railway sleepers wrapped in bandages, Franco, diminutive, 
dark eyebrows, deep brown eyes dark as pools, two square tufts of black hair flattened with brilliantine on an otherwise clean-shaven head, soft cheeks, pale, smooth olive skin. It was 1988. I'd started teaching at Chelsea with Stuart Marshall. Franco came to my film classes. We joined in Stuart's film, art, AIDS, health, activism, collectivism, we shared in the pain and grief and trauma of Stuart's untimely death in 93, the loss of Derek Jarman in 94, of Lauren Mabin in 95, and Adam Elliott and other friends, up to Shadows 2006 with HIV and on and on. When I think of Franco, I think of sharing, of struggle, of graffiti. Vince la lotta, win the struggle, scrawled on the peeling walls of Trastevere of joy, of pasta al Alfredo, of parties, of friendship. I think of performing in front of the camera, so many tales. Franco enthused and encouraged my work. Franco is in three of my films. A bit part as a corpse in Eros Erosion, which you've just seen. Pierced and enchained, hard on, sans tattoo in Kling Film 93. And then a foot. Which we ended up in court. In Heavily tattooed as a portrait of himself, surrounded by his own artworks in Terra Vermin, twin screen 1998. When I think of Franco, I think, like he does, a family. The family, I mean, I have a family, but this was the family I never had. We spoke the same language, literally, Italian, I mean. I'd lost my mother from cancer in 83, and he'd lost his mother being abandoned. And now there was AIDS. We were up against the tide. I played my mother's scarred, naked corpse dragged over a pile of rubble over rocks till my skin shredded. Franco himself filmed himself hurt, bleeding, punched, kicked, sliced, stitched and brutalized. I actually hated seeing him being hurt. He exuded longing to be loved, he was always in love. We had this affinity. And I have to say that I remember having to take a film of his to Berlin, which was, why don't you, uh, was it, um, why don't you love me anymore? And I had to keep giving this film to people that said, why don't you love me anymore on the, on the tape. Um, so, um, yeah, we had this affinity, um, and if we had a row, it would usually end up being in Italian, because it's easier to row and make up afterwards in Italian. You know, you can really, really, you know, say, uh, you could, it's so un-English to row in that way. So, I loved him half a lifetime for a lifeline, oh holy mother, that's almost 30 years of our lives oh, did cross. That tape of yours I took to Berlin, <laughs> and that show in Milan. Always love, long live romance, part two. Misericordia, ricordia la miseria. Anyhow, what can I say in 10 words is what I'd said to Lois. And here he is, in, um, and he's not the person doing it over the bench. That was, that was his idea that I needed to be in the film myself doing the rude things myself because it would be easier to get me to do it than to get somebody else to do it for me. But the film ended us in a lot of trouble, Berkling film, <laughs> from which I don't think I've quite recovered. <laughs> no, yeah, they stop your funding when you, when you, um, you know, especially if you're a woman. 
<laughs> we got thrown out. When, when we were doing that film, we got thrown out of the dubbing studios, didn't we, Franco? We got punched by the neg cutter. Uh, the sound, the sound person who mixed De- Derek Jarman's Blue refused to mix my film because it was real. And I said, no, it's not real. It's not, it's not sperm, it's cornflour. We, mi- <laughs> we mixed it and it went a bit lumpy. Didn't you notice the lumps? <laughs> and they said to me, well, it's real. It seems to be real to me. So you can't, we can't dub this film in this studio. Um, so uh, I said, but you, you, you mixed Death Wish Free here, and that's really nasty. <laughs> but anyhow, it doesn't work like that. But then in the end, we ended up in court, and the, the court people tried to uh, show the film to the jury. <laughs> uh, anyhow, that's a long story, and that's something that's going to come out in my book, um, you know, about the, the oppressiveness of um, society. Um, about sexuality and so on, and just being normal. So the idea with um, with the Kling film film, which was made to try and get women women to practice safer sex, because um, having had the pill for so long, um, it was very very difficult for them to ne- negotiate the problem. And when Dominique and I did a talk at the NFT with Silent Secrets Death, we checked all these all these figures and it was really rather alarming that actually things hadn't improved at all uh, on the prevention score they'd got worse and so um, so uh, um, you know things like uh, yeah sex education schools much more limited than it was in the 90s um, and so on and so forth so you know they, they've got all this me too business going on all this 50 50 stuff but really, there's a hell of a long way to go, I think. So. And, um, and Franco cooks very well. And I really wish we, 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 we did have at one point, and this is partly Franco, Franco's motivation, because he liked food like I did. And we'd go round to each other's houses. There were about eight or nine of us going round on a Sunday. And that meant you didn't have to cook. Eight weeks running on a, on a Sunday, you know, so you just cooked. And it was a brilliant thing to do. And then we used to sometimes show films, because if I had the films that I was showing at Chelsea, I'd, I'd make sure my class was on a Friday, so I could show them at my house on a Sunday and then t- show them at St. Martin's on the Monday and then take them back without paying a- extra fees. <laughs> And, and this, this is um, shot with a, what's that, Idol Standby, TV will soon turn off. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, the, the wonderful, wonderful thing about, the wonderful thing about, um, this is all generated on film, but the wonderful thing about uh, Final Cut Pro and stuff like that is that you can do all these superpositions that takes you years to do if you do it on film. Um, but, um, yeah, this negative's just been scanned at the highest possible revolution, resolution. So it actually looks like film. And, um, and it's shot with a 90mm macro lens, <laughs> which is a bird watcher's lens. You can even see into the back of Franco's throat. <laughs> Anyhow, Franco does this really brilliant pastoral Alfredo, and he does, he does his broccoli just right. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
dunks it in the in, in, in the hot water for 30 seconds or a minute or something. And, uh, yeah, actually, the the, the 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 story that we had with um, when we went to film Eros Erosion, we went onto the Beckton site because I wanted somewhere which looked completely destroyed. And we, we crawled under the barbed wire at about six o'clock one morning, pouring with rain, and the guard was sort of snoozing in his shed. And we lit fires on the site. And then Franco was to be a dead body with several other people, and my daughter had to pick up one of the lighter fellows <laughs> and carry him down, down the lane in a sort of forlorn-looking way. And then... Um, <laughs> and then, as soon as we stopped film, filming, Franco, Franco says... Now I've been in your film. Can you just film me now? He stripped off completely, and there was this puddle of water and mud, and he 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 sort of shuddered and crouched down over the puddle and held up this family photograph. It looked like a you know sort of all dark hair, and it was very very romantic. But I don't know what happened with that. Franco made an awful lot of films when he was at Chelsea. He used up everybody's film budget. He was just so sneaky. He just got, he just got all. Oh. Okay. Anna, thank you so much. Uh, it was brilliant to see that footage. It was brilliant to see the young, beautiful Franco. Um, so now it gives me enormous pleasure to hand over to the artist Marcia Farka. Marcia. Um, that, this is a great honor and I hope I don't fuck it up because they said only be five minutes or so it's very difficult um, with Franco they said use 40 words for the book I really couldn't do it I've written uh, you might like to see one day pretty well an essay but um, Actually, it was interesting because Frank asked me for an a uh, antidote, and I wondered if he meant an anecdote, but I thought, <laughs> it's so great because anyone who uses their personal history, well, not Franco, maybe, no, not Franco, but me, let's say, is accused of being anecdotal. So I thought, this is make a nice swap. I'll just be antidotal from now. And, and also, it gave me the chance to say, you know, Franco is an antidote to... All things drab and heartless. And I'm a little emotional, actually, about all this at the moment, so I'll carry, I've carried some notes with me, so I'll just read them. Um, <clears throat> Lois mentions Franco's presences all over the agency, and you might think I was writing my notes just now, but that is actually in the introduction of this wonderful book, which I have never held till tonight, but I have seen it on my screens and I've been reading it on an iPhone and sometimes I want to remember something. Yeah, I have been taking this seriously. And I go back and then I see the illustrations. I don't want to spoil it for you, but you sort of see the policeman just about to undo his belt and you go, oh God. You know, it's like it, there's, a, there's a cinematic element, very underplayed I think in the writing of the book, where one you know, episode really is chilling in, in I don't want to spoil it. Uh, we know Franco's here triumphantly, so that's at least the main thing. But there are some really, uh, uh, yes, perilous moments, and you feel, I feel anyway, and I must speak for myself, that suffering has got a transformational potential, and that some artists really 
actually can embody it, embody it, and manifest it. And so now, since I've become 60, I've become unabashed with saying rather sentimental things. Although I've been trained in quite rational rhetoric, I am going to abandon it tonight <laughs> because this is from the heart. I think the heart is the peace of mind, or my mind, that is irreducible, that is closest to what really cannot be conformist. And with this peace of mind, the heart, I, I speak, I, give, I certainly give my heart to Franco. He gave me something which Lois alluded to, which was basically an introduction to this community in a very, um, a very Im a bold and rather intrusive way. He went up to Nikki Milligan, who was rather you know, dignified in, in her, what shall we say, her process as hosting and curating a very large event, the NRLA. And he went, have you met Marcia? She's fantastic and brilliant. And Nikki was like, oh. <laughs> and, and I mean, there was nothing about me very interesting to her. I mean, it was, it was clearly, I mean, I wasn't an outstanding attraction for Nikki Milligan. But um, so I just, I, I, I saw this, I recognized it, and with as much dignity as I could muster, sort of went, it's fine. And then he did it again. It's Marcia, Nikki. And I'm like, oh, don't mind me. And a third time she went, well, look, if, get in touch with me when I'm back in London, when all this is over. And I did. And the rest is a sort of history. And when I first met, um, first met Franco, he, he actually welcomed me as a loser to the, um, the community because I'd, Lois doesn't like this terminology, but I'd applied for a bursary, which I hadn't got, but I received the most beautiful letter I think I've ever received from Lois saying, you know, this is in no way, um, you know, to your discredit, your work is very much appreciated, etc., etc., and please come and, and, and meet us all. And then the first person was Franco. I had, of course, seen Franco, and, and from a distance, you know, as an audience, and also just around. Franco and Lois just appeared to me as the most beautiful, rather remote dignitaries. So it's quite extraordinary, a little bit emotional, that I can count them as kind of really my very dearest friends and much trusted. And uh, yeah, the word love doesn't really trip from my tongue on an everyday um, yeah, basis, but it does tonight. And uh, every, every day I wrote this down, I look at Franco's heart cut with fire into a panel of heavy metal. I come from a sculpture background as well. Um, I wrote this down, industrial waste transformed into a vision. This heart is often admired. There is nothing soppy in its beauty. It is as tough and tender as the artist himself who reveals love in all its forms. I won't go on with Eros, Thanatos, Agape, whatever. That we can just assume. I did write those notes and I scrubbed them out. I thought, oh, it's not what Franco wants to hear in terms of a tribute. I remember once he said a beautiful thing about art. I project, you project. We have a conversation about what it is. I, I, I can, uh, I said, I, I think my notes are really dull. <laughs> um, anyway, I said I'm heading on and on, on and on, oh, and there's a pun, 
I, I, I said I'll speak from the heart. I've done that. The trained brain can analyze, decode, decipher, and discuss, and I don't knock that, and I could certainly reference and refer to your work, Franco, in that way. It's everywhere here, and as Lois said, it, the books on the shelves, the art on the walls, and the work that you've done with people, and the love that you've given to us all, and the way you're a champion of people. Uh, I don't want to spoil the book, but there's a marvelous, uh, a really marvelous um, sort of chapter after the chapter of your life on, on Tom and his, his, his very um, dangerous illness and his rescue from the sort of brink and Tom being Franco's husband and at one point he talks about the um, emergency and going in the ambulance and how Ron Athey, another you know, legend, comes to look after the dogs. And I just love this, I just love this. It's like a hero of, of many of us, you know, f for the work he's done and for the person he is comes steps in and looks after Boyce and Rothko. Of course, that, that moment in the book where you talk about being overwhelmed in the, in the Tate room of Rothko has really resonated with me because I too was. <laughs> That's something we have in common. <laughs> That's another thing. And um, I just love anyone who's overcome by art and music or whatever. I think it's a great... It's a great, it is a great um, capability, ability. I trust people who can be overcome. Um, I, I think I want to say a lot of things. They said, say something about what you said. Well, I think this saying you're a sort of angel in my life, I've said that because you championed me and the point I was going to make in the chapter on Tom was you, you talked very proudly about his brilliant um, MA show at the Slade, which I went to, and you said, and he got a distinction. And I love that about Franco, because actually he's very, very modest, but he's always blowing other people's trumpets. Not that it shouldn't be blown, but it's so great anyway. And he's just generous. He was a psychiatrist um, in my uh, live soap opera. I will always remember him being so brilliant. And of course, he was so busy and the most important sort of person at the time, and he took time out to do that. Which is, I think, has, has been said again and again by different people in different ways, so you probably don't need me to say it. I've said something about the autobiographical. Some people think it's um, self-indulgent. Well, maybe some are. They're sort of auto-hagiographies, maybe, in some cases, but certainly not in this beautiful book. And it's rather understated something of, of it is very um, elegant and restrained. And when talking and writing about suffering, that's something really impressive. Now, I'm just going to end on a slightly um, lighter note. Today I went to Salvino's, which is a very North London Italian um, delicatessen. And uh, I, I bought um, these... Um, Packets, which I had bought once a long time ago when Franco gave me a very beautiful collage, very large collage, with about at least five erections. <laughs> and um, 
At the at the time, I had a cleaner because I was working all the time. Now I don't have a cleaner. I could have the collage, which is now no longer in my in my possession. But when I I had the cleaner around, I, her sensibility. She was Catholic and um, it, and practicing. I put little pins above the erections, and I hung I hung these different. Um, but but I chose specially. And today, because obviously they've long gone, the original packets, but, but I went to Salvino's particularly to get them, and, and they didn't have them. And he said, they're, this is quite funny, they're in the back. <laughs> but they're only in the back. There are plenty of other seeds, of course. Um, but they're only in the back because they got in the way and people kept knocking into them. But anyway, Frank, I'd like to give these to you in, in memory of that um, wonderful collage, which actually on the back said, for Lois. <laughs> so I don't know how it had actually come to be, but I loved it. Anyway, um, that's that really is a, it's a brilliant. And, um, thank you for inviting me to speak and say something. Hooray to you, Franco! <clears throat> Marcia, thank you. Thank you so much. And last but no means least, the wonderful Dominic Johnson. Hello. Um, so Lois asked me to talk a little bit about um, essentially like which histories and which histories of performance are written and how, and I guess how Franco fits into those and what we might do, what we might do with him essentially. Um, and uh, and so I think. Uh, that I wanted to firstly say, though, that my, I'm, I knew Frank, like most people, I knew Franco by reputation before knowing him or, or, or actually the work. Um, and I knew him by just his, his the, the, the name, and then I got to meet him as a person, and then I saw the work. And the work itself was, at that time in 2001, I think, uh, two, was really, really profound. I saw, the first show I saw was Action 398, um, and was a, a really sort of one of those moments when it sort of switches you on to thinking about what you want to do in a in a very particular way. And I think also that we made a book together in 2006. And I know that a lot of the things that I've that I so my you know a lot of the work that I've done, whether that's doing books or thinking about performance or wanting to stay thinking about performance and getting a job, are actually very much down to Franco. So I'm very I'm very grateful. Um, for that, um, but I wanted to say what I was supposed to do, so like meet, try and meet my brief, um, which is to say, I say it a lot, and I say I think it's absolutely beyond doubt that Franco is, I think, the most influential artist working in performance in in Europe um, since the 90s, and that's I think beyond question. Um, and I think with that comes a certain kind of notoriety, and that notoriety often overwhelms the specificity and the nuance of someone's work. So it's a, it's a classic story that work which accrues controversy ends up being actually kind of stigmatized by that controversy, which means that the kind of the story of the work overdetermines a, a, a more diverse ways of reading the work. Whether that's the blood works which are typically the ones which have been controversial, but also the, the huge amount of work that Franco makes and has made from performance through to um, blood-based performance through to other kinds of performance, from performance to sculpture to painting to stitching works to all sorts of, all sorts of things, including recently to ceramics. 
Um, so I think what our, if, if the question is which histories and how do we write them, I think one of the projects is for us as, as thinkers, writers and audience members is to make sure we take the time to rediscover the work in its own kind of particularity and not always subject it to the kind of narratives that seek to overwhelm it. Which is also to say then, what is the nuance of the work? Well, I think the, the work is all the things Franco says it is, which is that it's, it's profound, it tries to engage with beauty and ugliness brought together, uh, the vulnerability and kind of um, precariousness of the, of the spirit, of the body in relation to the state, all these sorts of things. But it's also, um, it also poses some really interesting questions as well as about the way that one thing about that narrative is that it makes us seem to think that it's somehow unmediated, immediate, and that isn't actually, but, but, but if we, it has a kind of rawness, but that rawness is backed up by a kind of formal sophistication that we should remind ourselves um, is there. The fact that it seems immediate masks or kind of is a surrogate for the way in which Franco really, in a brilliantly articulate way, creates a kind of almost theatrical structure through which we then see the work, thinking about where we are in relation to the work, lighting, space, all those sorts of things which create the kind of density which is important to the work. Um, I suppose one, just one other thing is to say that this book uh, is really welcome in part because one of the things that makes Franco um, both notorious but also kind of, um, um, what's the word, sort of mysterious in a way is that there is this kind of legend of his life that comes with the work. And one of the problems has been that that t tempts people to read it in terms of catharsis or as therapy or as something else, which reduces the, the full diversity of the work, because I don't think that's what it does. And so I think the challenge is to read this book and read Franco's story and read it alongside the work rather than see the book and his life as the kind of truth of the work, to somehow find a more sophisticated, more difficult relation between his story and the story of the work. Um, so I'll just end by saying one of the other things about Franco which hasn't been mentioned so far is that he is a sort of born in the uh, sort of bread in the bone punk and that his mode comes from an incredibly deep sort of subcultural sub identification with the kind of context out of which he emerged and I think that is in his spirit very much still even if he passes in and out of major institutions, archives, etc., he retains a kind of uncompromising spirit that I think is, becomes rarer and rarer, especially with artists. And so I think that is something to really value and for us to really sort of appreciate and remember. So I would just really end on that, that I think, you know, if there's something to learn about Franco, it's that you can do whatever you want, essentially. Um, and he's also very unafraid of telling people to go fuck themselves, uh, which is really refreshing. Um, and I think to just remember that you can be sophisticated in the work you do, in what you want to say, and that you can remain uncompromising. And I think that's the lesson that we learn from Franco. Thank you. Dom, thank you so much. So just before we now move over there and have a drink, and then in a few minutes we'll start playing a selection of films that Franco selected for all, and that's just very casual, informal watching. But before we do that, I'd like to invite my colleague Finn to bring over...
Frank Hill, darling. Frank Hill. This is Franco's birthday cake, and it's a replica of I Miss You. No! No! This is art! Blow it out, blow it out. One, two. Happy birthday! Thank you.